Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Welcome to a wild and wonderful Wednesday, folks. This is John Grayson, Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. So glad you could spend some time with us this afternoon. And we really do appreciate your input and your interest or your questions. Uh, so let's dig into what's going on these days. And we'll talk about uh, three subjects. You know, how is a retirement worth saving for? How might you do that? We want to look at how the Delta variant may be a good reason to look to see how you can protect your finances from evil or from the devil, if you will. And then we really want to dig into what we think is a very big issue that you're not hearing about yet, but you will. And that is the housing bubble that we submit to you all bubbles burst 100% of the time. And it's just a matter of time before this housing bubble bursts. But the question becomes, is that going to mean, is that important to you? Is it unimportant? Is it going to make a difference to you? Or how can you play it in advance so that it really doesn't matter? Or maybe you can even play it to win. But the whole point is to see some of these things that maybe many people are not putting their, their, their pencil on the page on, their eye on that particular piece of information. So that leaves too many of us, in our opinion, to wake up to shock and awe and uh, go OS. And of course, OS stands for oh shucks, because something happened that we weren't ready for. And that's what it's all about for us here, Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace. It's about helping you best we can to prepare for the good the bad and the unforeseen, because one thing we can all agree on, I suspect, is that all three things are going to happen, the good, the bad, and you didn't know that one was coming. So we want to put our headlights on, put turn on our GPS, make sure we can see around these curves and these roads as well as we possibly can to be prepared for what's around the corner as opposed to crash in it and then, of course, crash and burn. Speaking of crashing and burning, I, I love this conversation. Uh, this is something Daniel and I talk about. I've been talking about it with my friends, but then we came up with a, a great source, and it's Yahoo Sports, and, and, and it, 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 it supports the thinking in some of the ways that we like to look at things, both sides of the equation. So right now, when you look at the medal count, for example, in the Olympics, and gosh darn it, I'm, I'm enjoying every nanosecond of the Olympics. I love the heart, the experience, the drive, the motivation the backstories of all of these Olympians, the people who come out of nowhere, the countries that suddenly get on, on the books, <laughs> they're standing you know, at the podium. Uh, so many things happen and it's so rich and so wonderful to see. And yet at the end of the day, we're all about something and sometimes it's about the spin, yes? And of course, we also know that greed is good. So when we look at both sides of the equation when it comes to the medal count, we count in America the number of total medals as opposed to the IOC and the rest of the world who count gold as having a higher weight than silver and bronze. So it seems that with NBC, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and even Yahoo Sports, that we're all doing something that's kind of ridiculous. We're tallying the standings not by what country wins the most golds, 
but what country wins the most total medals. So at last count, it means that uh, the current tally for China is 32 golds, 21 silvers, and 16 bronzes. That is uh, 169 total. Uh, this is as of early this morning. Somehow that's just not as good as the United States 25 in gold, 29 silvers, and 21 bronzes, 75 as a total as compared to China's 69. So, you know, I love what Dan Wetzel said at Yahoo Sports. Try telling China seven extra gold medalists that their victories just didn't matter. So what's what's going on here? Well, it's in the name of participation trophies that we're really doing, okay? The rest of the world favors gold over everything. That includes the International Olympic Committee. Same with the medal standing at the Tokyo 2020 website. It's good enough, apparently, for media companies all over the world, but not in the U.S., apparently. So everyone else has this right, since quite literally gold is better than the others. It's a pretty simple concept, gold, silver, silver, bronze. And then if we look a little bit deeper, what we can see is I, I think that something even, even more interesting, and that is uh, the current price of an ounce of gold, $1,813. Silver, about $818. Bronze, $2.55 for an entire pound. So what do you make of this, Daniel? I think it plays into the American exceptionalism. I think Americans have to be coddled and told you're the best and you're, you are the best in the world. And here's the proof by total medal counts, even though that's not how the rest of the world sees it, which I agree. I mean, the only thing that really matters is first. Uh, and, and that means gold. I mean, if we're talking about any other sport, for example, there is no silver or bronze medal just in the Olympics. So why are we counting total medals? Well, because it plays better for the U.S. media. I get that completely. And if we're in the U.S. and that's the way we're counting or that's the way the media is counting, then who cares? Uh, <laughs> First, really. second, third is usually the way it goes, right? But, and, and that's what you get. But no one cares about second and third. No, I mean, not really. We have a winner. That's all. Right, that's, where we stop. Right. that's that's what matters, and that's what matters in every other sport. So why why should it matter in the Olympics? Well, that's because so we can say we're the best. <laughs> God bless. I don't America. think it's I don't think it's right. I think it just plays into the American exceptionalism. You have to be told you're the best. Well, and folks, what we're saying is not we're not uh, judging what's right, what's good, what's bad. We're, we're really, just as I say, trying to look at both sides of the equation. And that's just what we do. So, for example, when we look at what's going on with the stock market, we look at it not daily. Well, we look at it daily, but we don't stop there. We want to see what the pattern is. And one way to get a piece of a pattern is to look at the stock market for the year, both year to date, that's from January 1 through today, for example, but to also look to see what we think is going on behind the scenes and around the corner. So as I say, you could be better prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen. And, and let me put it to you this way. We believe looking at the portfolios that we have a chance to see, and we have a chance to see quite a few of them, most portfolio are as poorly prepared for the future as they were for the past. So if your account was off, you go look, but please go look. Don't just say it's back to even because if the market was off, let's say 30% and your account was off 48% as we were looking at an account recently in 2008, it's most more a more of great value for you to say, well, how did my account do relative to the market at that time period? And how was life for me at that time? Because if it is the case, for example, that you're in your 20s and you're just putting in $100 a month, who cares if the 
market's off 57%. Who cares? But if you have a million dollars and your million dollars is off 57%, hypothetically speaking, that's something that will probably get your attention, but it only gets your attention after the grits hit the pan. And there's that OS moment. So that's why it's so important to look to see how bad did it get, both in terms of the market and more particular of importance is how did your account do in a bad time? And are you any better prepared for whatever might happen? Because it might happen again. I mean, just witness, we had, what was it? Two 50% losses, if I'm not mistaken, in the same decade. Well, suppose that happens when you're taking withdrawals. Can you weather that storm? Probably not. So year to date, we're seeing the Dow up 13.8% on the face of it. That's a very good annualized number. We do see uh, something that's quite interesting here. There's a significant loss in the market just today of about 287 points off nearly, well, off 0.82%. That's nearly 1%. So very good numbers for the year, but this is something you want to keep your eye on. Don't get complacent and go, well, it's up and everything's fine. Make sure you see if that gets a reversal of, let's say, minus 14%. Is that okay with you? You, you decide, but it's your money. So you need to decide. You need to care. The S&P is off uh, 50, only 15 points today, uh, up 17.48%. And the NASDAQ is uh, in slight positive territory as of right now, up about 19 points, up 14.89% year to date. So those are all good numbers. But as I say, uh, savvy investors seem to hate losses more than they love gains. And it's really significant for savvy investors to spend a moment discovering what kind of loss they can live with. And is it possible to position their portfolio in such a way where it might perform within their loss parameters? That's a tall order, but it's a, it's a good question what we suggest that you take a look at. So let's look at uh, how, how to have a retirement worth saving for, because we see a lot of people put very odd numbers of dollars aside with no plan in mind or on paper. And they wonder if it's okay, but they don't do the math. They don't get a second opinion. They're trying to do it themselves. And the question becomes, at some point, you're going to have to make work optional or choose to make work optional. And I say have to, because Oftentimes, it is the case that it's some kind of medical situation that causes people to stop working earlier than they anticipated, maybe not for you directly, but for somebody in your family, and now you have to quit work to take care of them or make adjustments to work part-time. So certainly, work provides us with a lot more than income. Many of us get a sense of meaning, accomplishment, and even identity from what we do. And work also provides social context and a structure for our day. So losing that certainly can be disoriented, which is why the experts, including, including some who've already retired, recommend thinking about how you replace those aspects of work. So Daniel, what do you see here in terms of how people can do a better job of making their retirement one that is worth saving for? I, I love this question because we, on the show, we focus a lot on the money aspect, but not a lot on the lifestyle aspect. Aspect, And it's, they both go together. The first question, like you said, is how are we going to afford to retire? The second question is now that you can afford to retire, what are you going to do with all your time? Mm. <laughs> and it's something that not a lot of people focus on. And the retirement uh, retirement for a lot of, of people has changed. It used to be that you you would retire and you would do nothing. You would just sit around the house all day. Now people don't want to do that, and I don't think I don't personally don't think it's healthy um, to just retire and not do not do anything. You need something to keep you busy. Your your brain is a muscle, and like every muscle, if you don't use it, 
it, it goes away. You have atrophy. And that's, I think, what's causing a lot of, of problems for older people. We kind of see it more and more. And in my, in, from what I see, the people that stay active and, and do more things with their time tend to have a better retirement. They're just happier. They have some purpose. So when you're looking at retirement, the first thing I want you to do is envision a typical day of not working. What do you want your retirement to look like? Are you going to play golf all day? Are you going to do charity work? What is, if you're not working, what do you, what do you want to do with your time? I know. It's a good question. And apparently uh, some are finding, in fact, some research shows that working in retirement is associated with greater happiness. I get that. Get that completely. A lot, a lot of our clients, they don't retire fully. They, they go part-time or they start consulting. They do something else. We have a client that I was talking to a couple of weeks ago and he's, he's, a, he, he's a teacher by day and he writes in his free time and his, his retirement is in, he, the way he envisions it is, is writing and possibly making a movie out of one of his books or a screenplay. That's what he wants to do. And when he, when he grows up and stops working, that's what he wants to fill his time with. And that gives him a lot of purpose. And I can hear it. And when I'm talking to him, the passion that he has for, for writing as opposed to teaching, I'm sure he likes his job, but that's that's not the, that's not his passion. Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because it, it's fascinating to talk to people where uh, some people give retirement kind of a test drive, you know, a test run. But when we ask people, what, what do you do? And they're retired. It's kind of with a sense of uh, regret. Well, I'm retired. I mean, there's just no passion <laughs> whatsoever. right? I'm retired. I'm done. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep death away from me as long as I possibly can, but I'm retired. No one's trying to get by. Right, right, from right. day to day. No satisfaction yeah. there. So taking your retirement for a test drive is a great idea. Take a couple of weeks or a month and just see what it's like for you. What do you plan on doing? For for a lot of people, I know when we talk when we talk to people and they've been retired for a couple of weeks, they love it because it's a complete change from their from their regular life. But a month later, they start to get bored. Sometimes they start looking for part-time work and now it's a, now it's a mind shift. So take, take your retirement for a test drive, take a couple of weeks and do what you think you might want to do. We have a client that, that he's retired now and he plays golf. He goes all around the country playing golf, playing tournaments. And he's, he keeps winning and keeps making money at it, even though he doesn't think he's that good, but obviously <laughs> he's pretty good. So, well, it's, it's he a, entertains his wife and she loves to come to the tournament and clap for him. I mean, it's so satisfying when I mean, we get to see the joy on both sides of the equation, but for those of us, you know, it, it does make sense. The proof is in the planning. That's our trademark. All right. So I think that's pretty universal walking 10,000 steps daily. Why right? that helps stay healthy, eating healthy foods, uh, getting at least, I was just looking at this seven to eight hours of sleep every night is the goal that most of us should be experiencing. So don't do like I do and stay up all night watching the Olympics because you can't go to sleep. <laughs> when, when I'm thinking about it, I go, wait a minute, there's a commercial break. Turn off the TV now and go to bed. Otherwise, you're going to be sorry tomorrow. And this was uh, maybe a little dated 2014 Merrill Lynch study, but uh, suggested that uh, physical well-being, 81% of retirees in this study cited uh, good health as a key ingredient for a happy retirement. And certainly it helps you to be happy to be around. <laughs> so setting those goals can help offset a tendency to put things off, which is one of those uh, things that people just keep doing, right? Procrastinating. Uh, and you and, and people who save are, are used to saving uh, for delayed gratification. They may have trouble 
kind of flipping the switch to spinning and enjoying their lives. But they do get involved with understanding what kind of return am I trying to get and how can I keep that return when I'll, when all when it's when possible higher than my withdrawal rate so that this account can actually grow in spite of what the markets might take away which we'll be talking about just later today so any final thoughts on this daniel before we go to break uh well the, the only the last thing i want to enter is is a lot of people get a lot of satisfaction out of doing charity work it, find something that you're passionate about and dedicate some time to it. There's so many good causes out there and people, charities are always looking for people to help find something you like and, and dedicate some time to it. There's, there's, that's a great way to fill your time and it gives you some purpose. Good point. And, and by the way, if you're looking for a good book to read, you can read my book, Making Finance Make Sense. It's available at Amazon and on eBay. And if you would be so kind, so we're all being social and learning, looking at the Olympians and how they actually help each other up after we, we both fall, uh, feel free to make good comments at uh, eBay and and, and uh, Amazon as they uh, look for those comments to identify who's going to, which book is going to show up on the bestsellers list. And that's my goal for 2021. So I appreciate your help in reaching that goal. So we'll be right back to look at how to protect your finances from the various variants, variants in, including the Delta variant. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. 
Welcome back, my friends. John Grace and Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. This is what we do from 12 to 1 Pacific time every Wednesday. Delighted you could spend this 60 minutes with us. And so our next segment is regarding protecting your finances from the boogeyman, all right, that we're, we now know is the Delta variant. And guess what? It appears as though this is just uh, a series of variants that are going to show up on our doorstep. So I know everybody's weary and we're all tired, but this uh, disaster of epic proportions seems to be winning, frankly, and it seems to be changing uh, its face and its purpose, uh, particularly for those of us who refuse to get vaccinated. That's where it's gathering its strength. It is life unlike anything we have known before, and it's not done yet. So let's see what we can do to protect our finances from these uh, issues that show up and we have to deal with them in life, but how do we keep our assets protected? This was uh, some input from uh, Susie or Orman, um, Daniel, and it, she's kind of an interesting character, as you know, I'm, you know, I'm uh, green with envy because I wish I, I was as famous as uh, Susie Orman is, but I'm not, and I probably never will be. And yet uh, she's, uh, in my mind, I think I would call her guilty of making these blanket statements like one size fits all, and of course they don't, but she has all the attention she she's enjoying and God bless her for that. What, what are you seeing here in terms of uh, some of the practices that are good versus some of the habits that we should be giving up? Well, first um, it's, I think when we hit the pandemic last year, a lot of people were in shock and they had a great excuse. This is the first time this has ever happened in our lifetime. Nobody saw it coming. Um, so a lot of people were caught off guard and lost their jobs right away. And people were hurting really bad. This time around, we see it coming. So not to say that we're going to be shut down again or we're going back into lockdown, but other countries have. It's not unreasonable to believe that we might go back to that. And to the extent that we do go back to something like that, people need to be prepared. If you were really affected by the first lockdown, you will probably be affected by another lockdown. So like all things, let's make Let's make new mistakes, not the same mistakes that we made before. So there are things you can do to protect your finances, particularly if you were if you were one of those unfortunate that got laid off last time and were struggling to make ends meet. One of the first things you can look at doing is be careful about making big purchases. Cars, for example, uh, any, any big purchase, but cars, one that comes to my mind, uh, if you don't need to do it, push it off. Think about it. Make sure this really makes sense. I know for me, uh, me and the wife were, were thinking about buying a new car uh, right before the pandemic last year. And then we both started working from home. So we ended up putting off buying a new car, which is great because we ended up not needing that new car. And to this day, we're still, she's still working from home full time. So we still in the car was for her. So we still didn't need it. So that actually ended up being really good. I'm glad we actually put off, put that off. But had we not, we would add a new car, paying for a new car that we weren't using. So the pandemic did you a favor. How do you like that? From that perspective, it certainly did. <laughs> okay. And what about relief money or money that suddenly comes in your hands? Did we just go to Vegas with that money? No. <laughs> no. It, relief money has a very specific purpose. It's there to relieve. So save it. Don't spend it. You might need it. It, has a, it had a very, very specific purpose. So if you got $10,000 in relief money and you take that money and you go buy a new car, what good are you really doing yourself? 
what mm -hmm. if you needed some of that money later to pay the rent as an example or pay the mortgage or pay pay a car or something like that it, it's gone so don't take that money and blow it if you can't afford if you might need it don't even invest it if it's money that you might need for the short term to pay rent as an example that money that shouldn't be money that, that we're investing uh we're we're usually proponents of investing more money than not but not if you need it if you can't afford to risk it we don't want to put it in well to that note uh susie's famous for saying everybody should pay off their house just as soon as you possibly can uh, i guess there's two questions here is refinance appropriate and is 15 year mortgage the best way to go or is 30 okay? For most people, I would say 30 years mortgage makes more sense. For some people, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of interest only um, loans and just keep that payment as low as you can, as long as you have a, a good amount of cash flow. But for most people, a 30 year mortgage makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm a big fan of more cash flow than less. So I don't like having people put more money into their house where they can't access any of that if they need it. God forbid they, they, they need money and they've been putting all of their money into the house to pay it off in 15 years or 10 years or whatever the goal is. And you're cash poor because you don't have anything liquid because all that money is going in, into the house. What if you need it for some kind of emergency? Uh, insur as an insurance um, uh, deductible. As an example, that's a lot of times it make it doesn't make sense to pay off the mortgage right away. So ref, it, look at refinancing for a, a 30 year mortgage. Um, let's get that mortgage payment as low as we can, stretch it out as long as we can, keep that cash flow as high as we can and save and invest what we, what we, what we can. A lot of times we want people to have three to six months of cash reserves. That may not be cash in the bank, but money that they can get to right away. That may mean in, in, a, in, a, in a brokerage account that we have invested, maybe in something more conservative, but we know we can put your hands on it right away within a few days. And this would be a break, folks, from what Susie recommends, because she does uh, suggest even in this, uh, this recent article that uh, do not, she just her word, do not refinance and extend your, your years. If you've got a 30-year loan that you've been paying for five years, don't refinance into another 30-year mortgage. Now, I, uh, this is where I have problems with Susie, because it's a blanket suggestion. There's no, uh, there's no alternative. There's no rationale. Certainly, there's no customization in terms of what does this mean to you. At the end of the day, if you could refinance at 2.8%, let's see, when boomers were standing in line back in the early 80s and interest rates were 16%, if someone had told you that 3% or even better than 3%, lower than 3% was in your future, you'd have laughed them out of your house. So I don't see a lot of things wrong with borrowing as much money as you can at 2.8%. <laughs> and by the way, dying with all of that loan money, because if it, it and, and the other side of the equation is so many people stuff their their homes with so much cash and then they redo them and put more cash, fresh cash into the same equation. And that beautiful tile roof, they're not made of potato chips. So you'll never get this money out. Maybe you want to look at your alternatives and you decide what's the best call, but don't just say, well, I'm going to get a 15 year mortgage because Susie suggested and I'd like to pay it off as soon as I possibly can. There may be a better way for you to use your money for the long term because if, if life expectancy in your experience is north of the average, that's north of 78 now, according to, the C according to the CDC, well, you've got a lot of time that you're going to need increasing amounts of money. We like keeping options open. What about uh, selling your stocks, Daniel? 
Well, before we go down onto that, yeah. I want to make, make uh, we'll, yes. what I see, what we see a lot of people doing is doing exactly what you're talking about, putting all their money into their house. So they they end up not putting money elsewhere. And when we when it gets to retirement, when we're talking to them, when they start, finally start to realize that they might need some cash to retire, and we're looking at at their finances, and all of their money has been going into the house, and no money has been going anywhere else, it becomes it becomes a big problem. Because you can't live off of that money. Now we're forced to make a decision as to selling the house or refinancing and pulling out cash to live on or moving out of state or renting it and having that work for you. It limits our options. So we don't, we want you to do, we want you to do both. We want you to pay, pay the mortgage down and save some money. We don't want you to be cash, cash poor and, and equity rich. That doesn't, that doesn't work for a lot of people. Well, and we're going to talk about this just on the other side, but, uh, you know, uh, cash is king. What do they say about equity? Crickets, particularly in a decline. So that's why we're saying it, it does make sense to have uh, other places to put money and it does make sense to diversify. And as Daniel points out, so many of us think that we have to pay off all these houses with so much money. And then we find out 20 years later that we could use some money and now it's all locked up in the house and uh, you just don't get it out again. So panic selling. Okay. So don't panic sell your stocks. People tend to think in straight lines. So when something bad happens, for whatever reason, people think that it's never going to get better. When we started with the pandemic last year, um, equity markets were down, I believe, 35% from peak to trough. And that's a significant drop in about a one-month period. And people think in straight lines. So when we see that, the first thought most people most people think is I'm going to lose all of my money if I don't make a change right now. And sometimes that makes sense, but a lot of times it doesn't. And really, if you're working with a professional that has a strategy in place, then you don't have, you, you shouldn't be overthinking it. If you don't know what your, what your strategy is for your investments, then you need to reevaluate this because maybe you can't take a 35% loss. And if your account is off 35% and you can't stomach that, you're in the wrong investments. But what we to your point, go ahead, sorry. What we don't want to do is panic sell. When right. we look at the markets going down and we're thinking it's going to go to zero, let's sell out now. A lot of times that's when exactly when it turns around. So, so you, sell, you sell when it goes down 35% and then immediately shoots back up. Now you're <laughs> hit on both sides. You, you saw 100% of the downside and you missed 100% of the upside. <laughs> Are you not going to make that up with volume? Never, never going to make that up with volume. Oh, okay. <laughs> not a good idea. And the other thing to consider, folks, is because so many people, whatever, professionals, we always say the stock market is going to bounce back. The real estate market is just, you know, it goes down every three years, but it goes up every six years. They, they think they see these patterns, which I don't really see. But the point is, sometimes the patterns don't perform the way you imagine. As we've discussed, sometimes it takes 20, 30, 40 years for different markets to fully recover. Do you have that much time? And let's suppose that it doesn't fully recover. So don't just think, well, if it's down, I, I know it'll be back soon because it may not be back soon enough relative to your time horizon. We want you to be in the appropriate investments and something that, that worked within your risk tolerance. Like I said, if your accounts go down 35% and you can't take 35%, you're in the wrong investments. Right. That's why we also like diversification, unlike anything you've done before. So not just money in the house, money in bonds, money in cash, money in stocks, 
There are other places to put assets where they may surprise you to the upside when, for example, 08, whether our house got hit, our bonds got hurt, and our stocks got crushed. Was there any place that you could have put money in 08 where there was a gain? That's a good question. I suggest you look around the corner backwards and see what kind of answer you might be able to learn from because there, the profits always go to where that investment is loved. So there are often gains where just as much as there are losses. But if we're in one asset class and there's a loss, we experience 100% of that. So next, next um, suggestion is if you're, if you're starting to get tight on cash, um, if your job prospects start to look iffy, it is possible to put some of your bills on hold. For example, your credit cards, you could call the credit card company and let them know what's going on and they could defer some of your payments. Uh, I know a lot of the utilities were doing that too through the pandemic. Your mortgage payment could be put on, defer on, on deferral or um, I forget, I don't recall the name of that off the top of my head, but where- Forbearance. They, forbearance. That's the one I was thinking about. Thank you. Yes. Those are options. But if you're proactive with your, with your, with your bills, then you might be able to do that. And I don't know that makes sense for everybody, but in the, in the right situation where your, where your income, it might hurt or might go away. That could make a lot of sense for some people. Good idea. In terms of assumptions, jobs right. that people get, they, 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 sometimes we, we find folks that People think I'm, my job's going to just come back to where it was, but we see a lot of folks who actually take out a new job, and it's a fraction of what the old job was in terms of their compensation. It, the new job, it's a job, but it's not as good as they had maybe back in 2008 or after, before the, the pandemic. So what, what kind of sobering words do you have for us there, Daniel? Don't get complacent. So it's funny, actually, looking at the at the service industry, uh, to counter your point, I know there's a lot of people that, that lost their jobs as servers or bartenders or whatever, whatever was in the service industry. And they started doing other things and making a lot more money doing it like social media posting or influence on online or doing uh, freelance work and making a lot more money. So they actually never went back to that. And now the restaurant and the service industry is hurting for a lack of, of employees. Mm-hmm. But on the other side, if you lost a job and you, you may not be able to find a job that pays the same. So don't get complacent and think it's just going to snap back because that doesn't always happen. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. So keep your eyes open for other things that you can do. It's freelance work, consulting or gig work. Don't do what you need to do to make that money. Yeah, we're going to suggest that, uh, you know, don't just assume everything's going back the way it was, because that's what we're saying about this uh, Delta virus, about the coronavirus. It's a disaster of epic proportions. It's changing everything right before our eyes in real time. So don't just get uh, thinking that, oh, this will just be over and everything will be back the way it was. <clears throat> so next, uh, don't stop investing if you're already investing. Now, this goes for what, what people tend to do, particularly in their 401ks and retirement accounts, is when, when markets go down like they did last year, down 35%, people start to think, why am I going to keep putting money in an investment that's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's only going down? And they stop those contributions. 
And that's if you have to stop those contributions because you need that money to live on, that's one thing. But if you stop the contributions just because you think it's a bad investment and you shouldn't be doing that, that's a very different thing. That's we don't think that's a good idea. Because again, what happens is they tend sometimes they tend to turn around very quickly with like we did last year. So if you stop making contributions and the market turns around, you're missing those contributions and you're missing the gains on those contributions. Well, that's an important factor. I mean, if you go to the beach, what do you collect seashells on the seashore with the kids? Only when the tide's out. You can't do it when the tide's in. So we think that's a good analogy. In other words, if you're putting in a hundred bucks just to make it simple and your price per share is $10, 10 times is a hundred. So you buy 10 shares with a hundred dollars. Okay. If the price is $10 a share, but let's suppose next month, the price drops 50%. Oh my goodness. It's not $10 a share. It's $50 a share. Uh, so let's notice that uh, with the same $100, how many shares do we buy? 20? That's 20 shells, if you will, while the tide's out. You've collected more shells, more shares, while the price was depressed. Everybody else is screaming. You're collecting more shells, more shares. And now if that price ever gets back close to even $10 a share, let alone uh, $10 a share, you have more money because you have more shares. So this is one way we're looking at the Olympics. How do you play the game? How do you recognize where the rules are, where the lines are, who are the referees, and how might you play the game to win? So we're going to take a, a quick break and we're going to come back with our big story. And that's the bigger the housing market bubble, the bigger the burst. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805-495-2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service, and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. 
To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. John Grayson, Daniel Medina here, Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. We're here from 12 to 1 every Wednesday, just like clockwork, and we appreciate your questions. This one is fascinating because we're seeing a number of patterns in place, and and that's one of the things that we generally don't study. Most of us don't study. We look at sales, we look at inventory, and then we make these uh, plot lines that say, well, if the sales continue at this rate, everything's just going to go to the moon, all right? And then something breaks and it doesn't go to the moon. goes to the floor and it goes down like the Titanic. So we watch a lot of pieces of information and we don't just watch in terms of what's happening in these United States of America. We're looking at what's going on around the world because we are absolutely convinced we're all, all in this together. We might be on our little separate islands, but we drink the same water, we breathe the same air, and we fly the same airplane. So it really makes a lot of sense to see what's going on here because it might be going on there in six months or the reverse. What's going on there in terms of COVID, for example, might be coming this way. But if we stay stuck in a little silo, we will not see what's happening right before our very eyes. So when we look at South Korea to New Zealand to Canada, we find that nearly every major economy's housing market is feeling the magnificent to the upside effects of the pandemic making way for the biggest price boom in a probably 20 years. Yes, that's two decades. According to OECD data, we see that in 40 countries analyzed, only three experienced real-term house price falls in the first three months of this year. And the smallest share since 2000, that's per a Financial Times analysis. Now, economists credit the price increase to low interest rates, larger banks of savings collected over lockdowns and yearning for more space as work from home options grow more common. I had the pleasure of spending some time with a young couple recently who have uh, three sons and uh, this was a minority couple and they're really intent on making sure that their children have the best education possible. So they're spending quite a bit of money in private school for their three sons. At the same time, they are worried sick that they might get priced out of the market, out of the real estate market. They're 32 and 30. They haven't bought their first home yet. And this is where it gets interesting because we look at our own situation and we think mine, my, what I'm doing is, is unique. It's different. Guess what? According to the U.S. Census Bureau, this 31 is the age most Americans buy their first house. Period. End of story. Now, please recognize when the boomers were standing in line to buy their first house, interest rates are 16%. And the common conversation at every cocktail party you went to was, what did you buy? What do you have in escrow? Have you moved in yet? Uh, Have you made money on the deal already before you moved in? And that was the conversation. In fact, if you weren't having a conversation about some house that you bought, some condo, a one bedroom, didn't matter. People would look at you like you must be from Mars. Well, I know your parents can help you with the down payment. You have a good job. How's it that you're not buying the house. But please recognize that was when rates were double digit, 14, 15, 16% on the first trust deed. So notice this notion of interest rates as a primary driver of real estate values. We're going to suggest to you is just not the case. In fact, we're going to say it's bogus. It's an important factor, but it's not a primary driver. Neither is location and neither is inventory. So 31's age of the first house, 
41 is the age of the biggest house. And as Mark Twain put it, if you don't like the weather in New England now, just wait 10 minutes. What am I saying here? The only conversation everybody's having, particularly in these United States, is about inventory and how low it is and how high prices have gotten. And there's just no end in sight. But let's recognize something, folks, that we all know. In fact, every seven-year-old knows, no matter what country they live in, that air, with the, the, the truth is, with uh, every bubble, it bursts. There are no exceptions. In fact, the bigger the bubble, the bigger the burst. So uh, how's it go? If everybody's thinking the same thing, somebody isn't thinking. I think that was General George Patton. I love that quote. I think he's spot on. When we all agree, everything's just going to go through the, group, through the roof. Well, guess what? I'm going to suggest to you that that's an environment where things start falling apart at the seams, and now they fall to the floor or below. So this is also important because a lot of people are looking at these prices and, and the, 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 the number of offers and say, kind of getting mad at their neighbors. I got news for you. It's not your neighbors that's uh, doing this to you. It's big business. That's right. Uh, this comes from uh, CNN just uh, two days ago. And pension funds, investment firms, and Wall Street banks are snapping up family homes in Europe and the United States at a rapid pace as prices rocket higher. Looking for alternatives to lockdown hit office parks and shopping malls and betting that a permanent increase in remote working following the coronavirus pandemic will keep demand for suburban houses elevated. Now, is it true that some of these companies have an inventory of 80,000 homes? Do you want to compete with those companies? Do they have any heart in this equation? When you buy a house, it takes a whole lot of emotion. And it, finally, it, it appears that the research shows when people are thinking about selling their home, it takes them two years to make the decision. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to stocks, buy low, sell high, do it in a nanosecond. When it comes to a house, it's like, oh my God, well, if I sold, what would I do with the money? Notice you don't even ask that question when it comes to a stock. And that's part of what we're saying. Cash is king, equity, crickets. So if it is the case with this couple 32 and 30, I ask them, here's, here's the question you need to really wrestle with. And there's no right answer, but you have to decide for yourself. Let's suppose you found your perfect house. You paid a million dollars for it. You put your $200,000 down 20%. You get in and two months or two years later, everything's perfect. The paint, the, the flooring, the curtains, the, the window coverings, everything's just the way you wanted it. And all of a sudden you wake up and that house is, let's say in Cleveland, hypothetically off 13% and in California, it's off 50%. If it was off 50% and you bought a million dollar house and you put $200,000 down, guess what just happened to your $200,000? Do you hear a giant flushing sound? Would that be okay to you? If it is, I say, go with God. If it isn't, I say, in my personal opinion, you might want to just keep your down payment powder dry, continue to complain about the rents and see how this market plays out. Because if everybody's agreeing that now's the time you have to get in and we're hyperventilating and we're not recognizing, for example, that 78 is important for two reasons. One, that's the age, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, that Americans sell their homes. And two, 78, according to the CDC, just three months ago, announced that the average life expectancy has moved back a full year from 79 to 78 in these United States of America. Meanwhile, Canada, uh, the UK, Japan, South Korea, 
are all north of 80. In fact, on our show not long ago, we showed you that the average life expectancy in South Korea is 85. Well, it's 78 here. So you tell me, is it a good time to buy or might it be a good time to sell to create cash while you can, pay down debt while you can? Because if it is the case, and I think we will all agree that cash is king, once you have the cash, you're not worried about selling high and buying another house high. You might want to sell high, get the cash, watch the market, and another opportunity may present yourself. Or if it is the case that the same dream house you sold for 1.2 or whatever it might be is suddenly on the market two years later, three years later, we'll see, for 600000 50% of what you sold it for, I think you would enjoy that purchase at the $600,000 level more than you would holding on to the 1.2, watching that value drop to 600000 and and now hoping that the 600000 gets back to the 1.2 so you can breathe again and have a nice day. Please keep in mind what we've discussed before, it's worth repeating, that when we look at the Great Depression and when we look at Japan, we see that New York real estate after the Great Depression might have taken 40 years for prices to come back to even. And in Japan, prices peaked around 1991. That's now over 30 years ago. Prices in Japan for both real estate, residential real estate, and their stock market, the Nikkei 225, are not yet back to their highs of now over 30 years ago. Could that possibly happen again? We've seen two times where this L-shaped recovery has occurred in the US and in Japan, and Japan's is continuing. If you were 50 in 1989 with your stocks, they dropped about 80%. They're still about 20% below their high water mark of 1229.89 by my uh, record. A year later, Japanese real estate dropped about 70%. That's uh, from 1991 or so to today. We're now 2021. So neither, I love asking folks this, I call it a trick question. <laughs> the stock market dropped 80%. The real estate market dropped 70%. It's now 2021, which has come back to even. And you know the answer, because I try to set it up. It's a trick question. The correct answer is D, D, none of the above. Now, could that happen again? Stay tuned. We'll see. <laughs> but we don't want you cruising for a bruising, thinking that, oh, my goodness, this fear of missing out has got me so enraptured that, you know, I have to make sure we get in, but I'm not prepared for it to turn, a, turn things upside down. And our psychologist friends remind us that the experience of uh, fear of missing out is a misguided perspective, that others are having more fun. They're just simply living better lives. But it involves a deep sense of envy, envy that can adversely, your, adversely affect your self-esteem as well as your decision-making. So social media sites like Facebook and Instagram can actually exacerbate, exacerbate that experience. So you wanna make sure that you don't just look at, yeah, interest rates are low, that's really great. Um, and uh, the current state of the housing market is a big influence on the fear of miss, missing out for both buyers as well as sellers, but what we're, encouraging you to do is to really look at the larger picture based on age in terms of the buying and selling behavior of uh, people in particularly in these United States when it comes to real estate, because it would be our opinion 
that that wave may have crested as far as residential real estate is concerned. And it might be a better opportunity for us, example, if we like real estate, to be in healthcare related real estate in some fashion. Some are liquid, some are illiquid, but it, we wanna see our options. If it is the case that uh, 10,000 people a day are turning 65 through the year 2030, and if it is the case that we have more people 65 and older in the world than we do five and younger, by the way, both of those cases are true. It's a very different ball game than anything you've ever seen before. So we would suggest that we figure out how to be more agile, not try to go back to the old way of thinking as though that's going to, that situation or those situations are going to stay stalwart. We need to be agile, more like the palm trees in Hawaii where the winds can blow, but we don't break because we bend in the winds. That's what we're suggesting, that we be prepared for the good, the bad, and the unforeseen, as opposed to hoping that uh, the government's going to protect us, that their forbearance is going to hold water, that the $20,000 worth of uh, uh, mortgage that wasn't paid will be ignored. <laughs> All right. We want to make sure that uh, we look at the risks. We see the deflationary pressures. We want to counterbalance. We want to have... Um, all of our accounts in places that are liquid where they are actively managed to move money out of risk assets and the cash in a bad year back into risk assets in a good year. And then we want to increase the diversification pieces to the puzzle so that we don't have a three, a two or three legged stool under your life savings. Maybe it's four or five or six or more legs underneath your stool so that maybe there's a place to be surprised to the upside when everything else seems to be going down like the Titanic with no recovery. So that's the work that we like to do. We really appreciate your joining us every Wednesday from 12 to one here at Voice America on fiscal fitness. This is, uh, we're, we're in a place where we love answering your questions and we appreciate those questions that you pose. We are continuing here at Investors Advantage to provide free financial planning services to all frontline workers. These folks put their lives on the line every single day. And this is our simple way, but authentic way to say, we appreciate you. So thank you for doing what you can to keep our lives safe. We're gonna do what we can to keep your assets safe. We'll be right back here, same bat station, same bat channel, same bat time next Wednesday, 12 to one here at Voice America. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon and we'll see you next week. you for tuning to fiscal fitness please join john grace and co-host daniel medina again next wednesday at 3 p.m eastern time and 12 noon pacific time on the voice america business channel have an excellent week